a couple of weeks ago, we started a series understanding really how to relate to each other, and we've been using this word oneness. And if you don't know, that comes really from a, a prayer that Jesus prayed for us. It's kind of a theme as uh, we've been putting this on the screen for the last couple of weeks. In John chapter 17, look how this reads. He's praying here. This is the night before he goes to the cross. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. He's praying to the Father, that they may be one. Who's they? That's us. May be one even as we are one. The relationship between the Father and the Son. And verse 23, I and them and you and me. And even pushes it farther, that they may become perfectly one. And the reason, one of the reasons, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The challenge, though, is that oneness is theory unless there's some action behind it. And we are called to put feet, put movement to this idea of becoming one as brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the ways that we've been doing it is we've been walking through the, the verses, the one another verses of the scriptures. Start in the Old Testament, and we kind of are walking our way through all of these verses. And I left off in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, and it said this, Agree with one another, this is the last point from last week, so that there may be no divisions among us. Let us agree with each other. But the next two in the order of this, it comes from 1 Corinthians uh, 16, and I'll put that on the screen, and we actually covered this last week, very similar verses. All the brothers here send your greetings, greet one another with a holy kiss. And 2 Corinthians 13, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you, if you want to know what that looks like and really the heart of what that means, you can go online and listen to last week's sermon because we basically covered that. But the emphasis really is on the issue of greet one another. And there's a symbolic thing going on of identifying our union and our unity in Christ. But we come to another set of them today. And I want to begin by putting a quote on the screen from Chuck Swindoll. And look at what he wrote, and you maybe have heard this before. It's a quite famous quote. I think it's in some devotionals and stuff. And he said this, The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past. It's more important than education. It's more important than money, circumstances, failures, successes. It's more important than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. And the remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. And I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. If we are in Christ, we have an ability to put on a new attitude. Matter of fact, there's a call in our lives to do this. 
And let me put on the screen Philippians 2.5. Paul writes here to a different church. He says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, what you're going to see today is that as we put on Christ's attitude and how that works, things can change in our lives. So let me jump into the first one here. The next one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. I want to give 14 as well for the context. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now we actually covered this verse uh, this summer when we were looking at the issue of serving God. But I just want to remind you and kind of come back to one particular issue in this one another. Now, this text in Galatians is written to a church where people were coming into the church trying to disturb this body. There were were some men that came in and were trying to call them back to live a life filled with rules and the rituals of what the Jewish faith wanted to kind of return to Old Testament style of worship. And functionally, they were preaching a corrupt gospel. And Paul writes this letter basically saying, no, You have been set free from the law. You have been set free to live different and a new way. But here's the critical piece for us when it comes to this one another. Is that we have been free, set free, to do things different now by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been put in us. And we have an opportunity to live very different than the world lives out there. Because the Holy Spirit is within us. But in this one another, the motivation for that is very pointed. And the key point for your notes, let love be your motivation for serving one another. Motivation matters in these one another's. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 points it so directly Let me put it on the screen, uh, the end of 2 and 3. If we have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If we give all I possess to the poor and get over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Maybe to say it this way, you can serve one another in all different kinds of ways. You, you can fight to end poverty. You can, you can fight like crazy to end abortion. You can be dedicated to, to reaching out to your neighbors and serving one another and bringing meals even to new moms. But if the motive is not love, it is just a mere deed. See, that connection to love has to be the stirring thing that motivates what we do and even all of these one another's. And it really speaks in one sense to the condition of our heart. Serving is action, yes. But if the condition of our heart is not motivated by love, something is lacking. But let me jump to the next one another. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to put both verses alongside on each side of it. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now there's a backdrop to this verse and even the whole book of Ephesians. Because the backdrop of Ephesians, that letter, is about unity. Now, now you have to catch there that, that as Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, he's pointing out some critical issues of unity. And one of them, he actually refers back to chapter 2, and he uses the word mystery there. And there was a mystery taking place, and it was really this, that the Gentiles were invited into salvation. The Jews initially, as they came to faith, they're going, salvation is for us. It's not for those people out there. And Paul writes and says, no, both the Jews and the Gentiles now have access to faith. And those two groups are called to unite and to live as one together. And they were coming together in churches and they were uh, Gentiles were being saved. And all of a sudden there was this tension within the church as to who is the most important, and they weren't getting along that well. But there's a critical issue that Paul does in this letter. He begins to stir things up. How they're supposed to live with each other. And catch this, there was, well, the main point, for even a key point for this verse. Unity and oneness needs to be cultivated. Now, that word cultivate, I don't know if you know that word, but I grew up on a farm. Farm boy, grew up at a young age, and uh, I learned to cultivate. is probably eight or nine, somewhere in there. And, and even to this day, I can remember the first time my dad let me do it by myself. And he went to work, and I went out to cultivate, and I was going along a hillside, and I looked back, and, I'll, and, and the cultivator kind of shifted a bit. And I had to go back and stop and plant all those plants that I had tore up. But this is the idea of cultivation was, is that you, that you would stir up the, plant, the, the, the weeds in the middle of the rows and it would keep them, the nourishment would go into the plants, the corn and the beans, rather than the weeds. And, but under, get this, is that Paul was stirring this church up. He was cultivating them by writing these things to them. And if you pause and you go, does that not have, need to take place in every relationship? Marriages, we need to cultivate the relationship. Between our children, we need to cultivate. Between moms and kids and dads and kids, we need to cultivate a relationship. But even one another within a body like this. We think that oneness just happens. And you go, no, it has to get stirred up. One of the reasons why we encourage you know, women to be in mentoring relationships, uh, the, the community groups, the, the, the DNA groups, those things are meant to stir up relationships where we can build each other up. Unity just doesn't happen. But you notice in that verse it said, he said, I urge you to walk. See, there's the cultivation. He's stirring up the soil. And walk how? In humility, in gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. 
And, and you listen to those words and you go, my, aren't they practical for our lives for every day? Humility, that first word, what does it mean? It means to others are just as important or more important than self. So we begin to look out for the interests of other people rather than just ourselves. The opposite of, of humility, obviously, is pride. And when pride sets in, it basically says this, I don't care about other people. The self is the most important. Their needs, ah, I'm not going to worry about it. So Paul is wanting to cultivate humility in that group, in that church. But that next word, second word there, gentleness. We are to be gentle toward each other. Now, now here's where I think there's a profound connection with this word gentleness in the scriptures. It's connected to the way we speak. How we communicate with each other. Yeah, there's some times that we're gentle physically, but this is about the way we deal with people and predominantly our language that we use with each other. And I think the challenge is that sometimes there's people and, and we can have this attitude that says, you know what, I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm just speaking the truth in love and you know what, I know they need to hear it and, and I'm not going to beat around the bush and if they get offended, tough. And if people take that attitude, do you realize that violates a law of love? And it's totally opposite of gentleness in relationships. Now, I realize we have Minnesota nice here as well, so we don't speak very directly to each other. Um, but even there, when we do speak direct, there's a call for gentleness in our words. So it's connected to what is coming out of our mouths. What we speak. Matter of fact, let me put some verses on the screen just to remind you this. Ephesians 4.29 Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. The kind that build up and provide what is needed so that you, what you say will do good to those who hear you. Practical? Absolutely. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And you go, words matter. Another Proverbs 16.24, kind words heal and help, cutting words wound and maim. Did you catch that? This is all in the context of relationship. We are called to be gentle with the words that are coming out of our mouths. Now, now here's, I, I think, one challenge on this issue. Is that we look at, hear this word gentle, and, and sometimes we think it equals weakness. And, and we just put, a, put aside strength. Uh, but I found a definition that I, I think it fits from a biblical understanding of this. Look at how it reads. Gentleness is strength that is under control that benefits someone else. And I go, that is a good gen uh, definition of gentleness. See, do we use words that are under control? Are we using words that are giving life 
when we relate to people, or are we giving words that give death? And it happens in all different kinds of relationships. Parents and children, husbands and wives, one another as a family, a church family. Gentleness, so needed. But look at that next verse in that word, patience. One that is so hard, isn't it? Am I the only one that has a problem sometimes with patience? Uh, here's the, the, the definition. Slowness in avenging wrongs. You know what? We live in a world where people are going to wrong us. And we live in a world where people are not that nice sometimes. If you're a student, you know that in school. And even nice people get up on the wrong side of the bed. Anybody get up on the wrong side of the bed today? Want to admit it? I think I did today. I look at some words that I said to my wife, and I wasn't patient. See, we, we tend to go, this is just about driving. That's where the illustrations always start. We've got to have patience when we're driving along. You know, somebody's going really slow in front of us. But you know what? I think it's critical and maybe more needed within a body of believers like us than anywhere else. And let me give you three pieces just to remember that can help us kind of pull ourselves and allow the Spirit to work in us to be more patient. Number one there, people are at different places spiritually within the church. Everybody's not at the same place. And it will always be like that in a church. Matter of fact, if everybody was way up here in their faith, that would be actually an an, really an unhealthy church. We need all different kinds of levels because that means we're reaching out. We're bringing in people who are not at the same place. But a second rem reminder there, remember that God is not done working in your life as well as other people's lives. He's not done working with us. And that in turn should push us to go, he's not done working with them either when someone offends us or bugs us. But a third one here, and we're going to dig a little bit more later on this one, patience grows as our appreciation for the love and the grace of God grows. And we're called to pause and remember what he's done. But look at that fourth word there. Bearing with one another in love. Now, now this word, functionally, it, it, it could, you could translate it this. Tolerate one another. Now, it's not the politically correct in terms of we're just letting any sin go. That's not the issue at all. But it literally means to endure, to hold up. Here's one definition. To make space for another person. Give a little leeway. Cut somebody a little slack. Don't we need to do that sometimes? We give allowance for relationships in the context of relationships in all different kinds of ways. One of them is sometimes we have to make space for some differences in doctrinal beliefs. Some, we have to make space for convictions that are held. But we are to called 
to give some space so others, because God is not done with them yet. And so we put on this attitude with the help of the Holy Spirit of humility, gentleness, parent, patience, bearing with one another. Look at that next one another, though. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Look how this one fits with this one. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. You could put one another there. Just as Christ forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. It fits. You catch how relationally speaking, this makes us work well as a family. But verse 32, by the way, doesn't really stand alone. Sometimes we'll read this and we go, that's just a standalone verse. But it's actually connected to the prior verse. And let me put that up on the screen. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So then be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now let me unpack this and connect these two verses together. The, the words bitterness and wrath, anger, those hard words, we tend to think this, that the opposite of bitterness, for example, we tend to go, it's non-bitterness. So I'm either bitter or non-bitter. I'm either angry or not angry. And what we can subtly do is, as long as we work hard to keep those emotions down, then we feel pretty good about ourselves and go, ah, we're, we're pretty righteous, aren't we? But see, that's really not biblical, and even in the context of these two verses. You can have no bitterness, you can have no anger, no slander, and still not be righteous. See, the counterpoint for bitterness and anger and resentment is verse 32. Rather than this, Paul's saying, I want you to be this. Oneness and unity demands that there's a change, not just from the absence of bitterness and anger, but actually, it's so we take that off. A number of months ago, I had a suit coat on. For once and I took it off and I said you got to put it back on and that's kind of like that as well we take off the bitterness the anger but we put on compassion mercy we just don't stand in the middle neutral and feel good about ourselves because the call to be compassionate forgiving is what God is calling us to live out these one another's See, the counterpoint are these attitudes of compassion and kindness and forgiving each other. But here's a key point for your notes. We need to develop this attitude and a lifestyle of kindness and compassion and forgiveness toward one another. And i got to say this, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. It's more than just trying harder. 
And it's not just, it's not just going to happen. We need to listen as the Holy Spirit reminds us of those things. But there's another issue i got to point out in this verse here that's very critical in our movement toward these new attitudes. And it comes from the end of the phrase in verse 32, just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul comes and says, put on these things, get rid of those things, put on these things, but remember one thing. How much God has worked in your life and remember what he's done on the cross. Remember what he's done. Well, let me push you to Ephesians 5. The next verse after that verse 32, look at how it reads. Therefore, put on kindness, remember the work of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. And then Paul reminds them, you're beloved children of God. Walk in love, there's the practical. But remember that Christ loves us and he gave himself up for us. And he's a fragrant offering and he's a sacrifice to God on our because of us and our sinfulness. The one another's is putting on an attitude but it's also stopping and remembering the work of God in our lives. And it's so easy to go day after day after day and we forget what God has done in our lives. And I think this is the thing that struck me in my study this week is how often I fail to stop and ponder the work of God in my life and the, ponder the cross and what he's done for me. Do we remember that? Uh, let me show you some verses why it's so important. Romans 2.4 Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Saying, do you forget this? Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead toward your repentance? You see the call back to remember Christ? We won't be able to be kind until we see the height and the depth and the greatness of God's kindness toward us. Look at James 5.11. You have heard the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is, look at, compassionate and merciful. And Paul is reminding this church of Ephesus, God worked in your life. He changed you. He, he paid the penalty for your sin. Remember that. Because that's a, a key component of putting on patience and kindness and forgiveness. And we'll never have compassion until we understand the mercy of God. Look at this key question I put on the screen. Do we truly understand and embrace the depth of God's kindness and compassion given toward us to which we did not deserve? Do we pause and say, and worship and say, God, I can't believe it, how much you've done for me. See, God has been better to us than we ever could dare dream. And he has set us free and we really don't deserve it. 
He set us free to forgive for those that have offended us. He set us free to have compassion, kindness, gentleness. But Paul gets it and he says, and but keep remembering. If you forget, you're probably going to move away from those very practical one another's. And the Holy Spirit, do we listen? Do we spend enough time in the Word where we actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whisper, remember the cross? Remember the cross? See, the cross is so important for our lives to change. One last thing here. I think back to the times where I've been shown compassion, the times when I've been very kind when I've held on and not forgiven. And if you're there, do you know what the answer is? The cross. And remembering how much that Christ forgave us. He doesn't want us to stay there to hold on to stuff. So he comes and says, rest in me, trust me, sit at my feet. And remember what I've done for you. I want to play a song just for us to ponder. The title of it is At the Foot of the Cross by Catherine Scott. And I want to just play that. And I would like you to just pause and go, think back to what God has done in your life and give thanks to Him. Let's play that. Maybe you're one that has never accepted his mercy and compassion. And you're still trying to live without him, the one that died for you. I'd encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Come and visit me. Talk to one of the elders here. But for us that know him, here's an assignment that I would encourage you to do this week. Every day, some point during the day, Stop and ponder the work of what God has done for us through his son Jesus. And picture that cross of him tying for us. Because I am convinced that, that if we don't remember, if we don't remember what he has done for us, we get trapped in our own self-righteousness and our own selfishness. So every day this week, Pause, take a moment, and and ponder what God has done on the cross for you. It'll make a difference with patience, with kindness, with compassion, with mercy, as we remember him. Let's stand and pray.